Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Rothko Chapel. My name is Ashley Clemmer. I'm the Director of Programs and Community Engagement. I'm curious, before we get started, if any of you all are here visiting for the first time. We have a number of new visitors. OK, raise your hand again. For everyone who has been here before, did you take note of the new people? I want you to just take a moment and say hello and welcome them. <laughs> So for those of you who are visiting for the first time, this is a sacred space dedicated to art, spirituality, and human rights. We opened in 1971, and we're open every day of the year as a quiet place for reflection and contemplation. And it is the complete work of art by an artist named Mark Rothko. So you'll see we're surrounded by these 14 monumental paintings that he created, but he also conceptualized this space as well. So in addition to being in a quiet place, we also have ongoing programs throughout the year that sit at the intersection of art, spirituality, and human rights, including the series that you all are going to experience today, which is 12 Moments, Experiencing Spiritual and Faith Traditions. This, so this is a series that we've been offering for many years, since 2005, where we invite individuals of different faiths to come the first Wednesday of the month from 12 to 1 and to lead a contemplative session of some sort. And it's very open, and it ranges from moments of silence to guided meditations to um, singing. Um, so I do want to just say that in addition to today, we do have a, a number of programs that are coming up. There's more information on the back. Uh, there's also printed information at the front desk and on our website. And we have a couple um, staff people and volunteers who are very knowledgeable about the chapel. So afterwards, if you just want to learn more, please feel free to find any of us who have a name tag. Before we get started, I would like to ask that if you've not already, that you silence your cell phones. And if you could just hold off on taking photographs, we will capture a couple that we'll share on our website. We'll also be doing an audio recording of this offering. So if it's something that you'd like to share with friends or go back and listen to later, that will be available. So for today, we're very pleased to be offering a Hindu tradition meditation. And we have with us our friend, Dr. Harish Chandra, who has been here a couple years in the past and participated in our interfaith Thanksgiving service. For those of you who have never been here for the Interfaith Thanksgiving, it's an amazing offering. Um, we're going, I think, into the 30th annual offering. We have nine different faith traditions that are represented. There's information on the back of your program here, so please come back and join us for that. Since 2015, um, since uh, when, when Dr. Chandra arrived to Houston, he's been serving as the spiritual guide with the Arya Samaj Greater Houston. There's a full information about him in his bio here in your printed piece. Um, but the Arya Samaj Greater Houston is a Hindu temple. It's located here in Houston, and it's offered to the, the community. There's many different meditations and offerings that are there. We did list more information about them, uh, their hours, and their... Uh, their website and their location. So we invite you to, to ask Dr. Chandra afterwards uh, about the temple and to go visit. Now I'd like to ask that you join me in welcoming him and we'll spend the rest of our time with Dr. Chandra. Thank you. I think it's better I stand for a while <laughs> because we'll be sitting for meditation. This is a series of meditation, and it has been labeled as Hindu meditation. I have 
don't want to offend any religion, but I somehow don't like this label. I think the truth has to be universal rather than for a certain section of people, this is the truth one and truth two. I somehow don't like meditation to be characterized as faith-based different compartmentalization. In particular, I am going to share with you a tradition that is very old, much older than I think that is generally agreed that religions are within last 5,000 years or so. The oldest ones being Judaism and Zoroastrianism, about 4,500 years ago. There is an evidence in the sense, some excavations from what is called Indus Valley, which is dated about 8,000, 10,000 years old, and they have found a particular, I will say, design tile where one person is sitting in meditative posture. So in particular, I'm going to talk to you what is called Patanjali Yoga. Now there is so much confusion about everything. I use the word yoga and people will have different ideas about what is called yoga classes, <laughs> where you do some different kind of body postures, etc. In our tradition, that is called as hut yoga. So whatever is floating around in the world in the name of yoga is actually hut yoga. The authentic yoga is a book. I should have probably brought it, but you will be surprised. It is just in four sheets of paper. And that is a book by Patanjali. Title is Yoga Darshanam or Yoga Sutra. So I, that's what we will be practicing will be borrowed certain concepts from that. It's a book in Sanskrit with about 195 statements, and they are very, very short statements. If you write back to back, it will be four or five sheets of paper. So very first is, of course, Atha Yoga Anushasnam, which means the title of the book. The next is, he's defining the term yoga as yoga chitta vritti nirodha. There are four words. Chitta is mind. Particular, I will say, mind screen, which I am always watching. Vritti is anything that is displayed or depicted on that screen. Nirodha is to subdue it, to calm down. So yoga, by definition, is art and science, knowledge and skill, so that I can, these are beautiful screens, like you enter into a cinema hall, there is a white screen, if you go there before time, and then something starts being depicted on the skin. So what is depicted on the skin is called vetti, and the skin is chittavit. Nirodh is to subdue it. So if there is nothing on that skin, the skin will be in its raw state. So that is what is yoga, ability to bring my mind absolutely blank and calm. And that state of mind is called meditation. So this has a lot of uh, spiritual, indeed, we say this is the only way, this is the only way to validate the concepts of non-physical consciousness. So, you know, it is a common man also says nowadays, I am body, mind, and soul. So what is that soul? In this Vedic tradition, it is a non-physical consciousness. It's kind of a singularity, a point-like singularity somewhere here. So they give an example of 
thumb in a fist. So this is like me, my consciousness. It is enveloped in a tiny shell of my mind. And that's how I entered into my father's body, then in my mother's body, and then I developed some more layers of this cross body, and I became an independent human being. So of course, when I say this, this is me and this is my mind, and that somehow entered into my father's body, what that means is all this is very, very tiny, smaller than nanoscale. This is, I have to say it, because common man thinks mind is this bane. So in this particular tradition that we are discussing, mind is made of physical tiny particles, so small that it forms a tiny shell around me, my soul. And what is this soul? Soul is an abstract idea, abstract, it's a real idea, but abstract in the sense it is non-physical. So it's a point like singularity, we say. Like in high school, we have been told, we take a pointed pencil and we put a, in a graph paper, we put a location of a point, 3 comma 4. We walk 3 distance in x-axis, 4 units in y, and then we put it. But we are told point is supposed to have no length, no width. So that is a singularity. If you have done mathematics, calculus, etc., delta function is a good example, which is zero everywhere and is an infinite spike, so its integral is one. But the point is, singularity means, just imagine, like these are the light sources, imagine in the limit, the size of the filament is zero. Is it delta x tending to zero? So that small source, you will say, it is lamp. Also, you will say it is the light. So lamp and light become the same thing because the dimension is zero. So that's what it is. This is the inner light of my consciousness, but it's a tiny point. And that is enveloped in this. So this is said to have three layers, the mind. This is the inner layer. That is what I am watching always. Indeed, that is my desktop. Of course, it looks like I am seeing you from a distance, but I am sitting in that tiny black hole where I am watching this screen, actually, where it is five-dimensional images are depicted, sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. All that I observe, I see through my eyes, goes on, falls on the retina, then optic nerves, then this is the outer layer, it picks up, the data signals appear there, then I say, yes, I got it, I saw it. So that's how it's a very swift, very fast, very fantastic system that all of us have, so-called human mind. So this inner layer is, that is what Patanjali is calling a chitta. That's where things appear. The middle layer is called my memory. That is where data is stored. Because if I have seen something, I remember for a while. And the outer layer is called manas. That is what, that is what picks up data from one of the five channels. So we have five senses. They are all continuously sending in data. So it is coming always very fast. But this is a, this is a link which scans so fast, picks up one at a time. And that which it has picked up, it is brought here. And that middle layer is also storing it for future reference and projecting it here. And then I say, I got it. But sometimes I disconnect from outer world. Just from my memory, I pick up a lot of data and process. 
All these things are happening, not going into those details, but what finally appears here is called Vetti. So Patanjali is saying, yoga is Chitta Vetti Nayodha. I should calm it down as if all of us, like we have wonderful mothers and fathers here, just imagine your child is always hooked to the TV, just watching TV non-stop. Then the mother or father will wonder, what is the life for this child? He must learn to switch off TV and explore life beyond the TV, is it not? That's what we all are. We are spoiled children of that supreme consciousness. We are always watching the inner TV and we are expected. That's the maturity of a human being. I should learn to switch off the inner TV. And then if I succeed, I get to know myself. That is called self-realization. So meditation has a lot of implications. As you will see at the down-to-earth level, if I learn to switch off this thing, if I learn to calm down my mind, then of course in the daytime, I gain some ownership of my mind. I get authority over my mind. So I use my mind better because it obeys my instruction to calm down, is it not? Then your task will be better. You will be more attentive, less distraction. This is what you need when you go to sleep in the night. You want your mind to calm down. So right from the down-to-earth level, it is an application that can validate the spiritual principle, who I am. Because I am owner of this body and mind. This is me. I get to know myself when there is nothing on my mind screen. So this is a wide-ranging thing. Today I want to just pass on to you very simple method, what Patanjali is saying. Of course, in his book, he has three layers of yoga, yoga, kriya yoga, and ashtanga yoga. There is a concept of klesh. Klesh is something, you know, something, ignorance of a peculiar kind, which is all, you know, when we I entered into my father's body, in this middle layer, I brought some, some data from previous lifetimes, etc., etc. We are familiar with this thing. Every child is born with certain talents that that child might have gathered in previous life or previous lifetimes, whatever it is. So all that, what is there in the middle layer in my memory storage device is called as my son's car. And if there is something which is not quite spiritually enlightened, that is called as clash. So not going into much detail about that, what he's saying is those who are very spiritually inclined they are enlightened persons. Because of their past life experiences, they are likely to succeed on this path with great ease because they have much less of what is called clash. So for those kind of people, he talk about first chapter of yoga, then those who have clash, which is like, for, for tentatively clash means ignorance. Ignorance, but at a spiritual level not the ignorance of the down-to-earth type. We are all ignorant people in the world. I don't know many languages. It doesn't mean I have that clash. Clash is a peculiar type of ignorance. So those who have clash, for him, his prescription is kiya yoga. I'm just trying to give you an idea. And then clash is ignorance. And under the influence of that ignorance, you do some wrong things. You know, in India, in, uh, human society, 
we have these powerful instruments of body and mind, but uh, basically we are in the mode of acquisition of knowledge and outgoing action. Knowledge and action are these two dimensions of our work. And when it comes to human being, we have the freedom. Freedom of what? That I can do bad actions also, you know. A cow is always cow, a horse is always horse, a lion is always lion. But a human being, like in New York, it has happened yesterday, a human being can go this way, become a very noble human being, can also become a very bad human being, depending on his actions, how he has interacted with others. Is he hurting others or helping others? Is it not? So that's what is the human life is different from all others' life. So that is what, for third category of people is, under the influence of that peculiar ignorance, he is misusing the assets of body and mind. He is harming others. Like, I may steal somebody's money, is it not? Things like that. Or do many other kinds of wrong things, which is against the law of the land, whatever it is. So for them, there is a Patanjali's prescription, is Ashtanga Yoga. So I think we have to be modest. Let us, let us assume we are in the third category of people, not all that neat and clean. So I will be, and this is what you are probably familiar with, if you are aware of Patanjali's yoga uh, practices, Ashtang yoga is likely to be a term you might have heard of it. So what I'm going to describe is Ashtang yoga, which is basically based on the framework that we are a composite of body, mind, and soul. As I have said, mind here is a very tiny shell, not to be confused with the brain. This all is the gross human body. So body, mind, and me. This is my consciousness. But Patanjali is a genius. He says that this is not the total description of ours. What is it? If I go to sleep, deep in sleep, when there is no dream also, my chitta doesn't depict any kinds of dream, nothing is happening as far as conscious functions of body and mind are concerned, yet a lot of, lot of things are happening. In medical terms, they will all be clubbed together as non-voluntary functions. So a lot of vital forces are working, like our respiratory system, cardiac system, nervous system, digestive system, etc. So they are basically five systems, so there we have five, five elements, pran, apan, vyan, saman, and rudadhan. These are five vital forces. They work non-stop so that whenever I want to use body and mind, I can use them. If they stop, I will collapse immediately. And then I am no more in the world, is it not? So this is not true that I am merely body, mind, and soul. I have to have at least four fingers, body, mind and me, my consciousness, but there is an intermediate domain that is called panic domain, or in English we can say all my vital forces are functioning here. That is what is making body and mind functional. Whenever I want to use them, I can use them. When I wake up in the morning, I find them, I, they are usable. If something ha happened wrong in the middle of the night, I will never wake up. So I have to have four fingers, and as I said, mind has the two major tasks, being in the knowledge from the outside world, and I can act upon the surroundings. So incoming knowledge and outgoing action. 
So inner part of knowledge, inner part of mind is called inner mind that so give, give, puts me in contact with what's happening in the surrounding and outer mind helps me influence the surrounding. So basically we have five fingers, body, this is the vital forces, outer mind that puts in outside action and inner mind, that's where the knowledge is displayed to me and this is me, the owner of the whole system. So the reason I wanted five fingers is, that is what will explain why Patanjali has Ashtang Yoga. The word Ashtang means eight limbs, so there are eight steps are there. First two are not practice part, that is more on lifestyle, how should I live in the world? So they are called as Yam and Niyam, how I should interact with others, that is where the moral code of conduct is, not to hurt others, not to lie, not to steal, things like that, that is Yam. Niyam is, what are the duties to myself, keep my body clean, have a sense of contentment, etc., etc. Now, when we sit for practice, then these are the remaining six steps are required, and that's what we are going to talk about now. So the first is, as you said, let us discipline our body. So whole game of the meditation is, at this point when I'm speaking, my consciousness is permeating through all this. That's how I speak. And you are listening and making sense of what I am talking. So I thank you. You are also active consciously in all of your domains. Your ears are picking up and then you are thinking and all. Now in the next few minutes, we want to go into meditation. That will be a kind of inward journey. I am here, this is my, I am the source of consciousness. Since I want to use the, my instruments of body and mind, I am letting my consciousness permeate through all this. Now I desire, no, I want to be in meditation, alone, deep in my cave, unconcerned about all this, disconnect from all this. I will withdraw my consciousness step by step, step by step. That's where first step is to discipline my body, bundle it in such a manner that I can disconnect from it. Then I discipline, these are vital forces, he singles out one of them, namely breathing, which is relatively easy for me to influence. So we will discipline our breathing. Then we encounter this way our outer mind. We will ask it, we will announce, we will treat our mind as my personal secretary who is always with me, but now I want to exercise my authority over it. So from today on I want to tell that look, I want you to calm down and there is another short journey I want to do within my deep cave where I must go alone. Otherwise, all in worldly functions, my secretary is always with me. So in this particular journey, that's what meditation is, I insist my mind to calm down so that I can disconnect from it. You know, the system must become quiet. Like we all came in a car probably, our car must stop, then only I can disengage from my car, is it not? So that is the challenge here. I must ask, I must bring my mind to an absolute stationary, inactive, still blank state, then I disconnect from it, then I am alone in my cave. That is to sitting outside of my cave. So these are the steps we will do only, actually I will be, we will be doing five steps of this, 
but I will be, I'm just putting it as three steps, so to say. Five steps are implicitly there because of time constraint, etc. I don't want to talk philosophy so long. So now let us try to practice it. Actually, as far as the organizers are concerned, they wanted to make this meditation longer, I think 30 minutes or 40 minutes, something like that. But I thought we will do just 20 minute practice because here meditation, as I have said, is not just being eyes closed and being in silence. Here meditation by definition is absolute inactivity of mind, nothing happening in mind, which is quite a challenging thing. So for a newcomer, I will say, like just now I did a class in a community center in morning. I just start with only 10 minute meditation. Because if it is a newcomer, that much of silence mode, sometimes there is a bombardment of thoughts in mind. It can be very frustrating. So I know here, a lot of people will have different kind of backgrounds. So it's a mixed background, I must assume so. So I am trying to go for 20 minutes meditation, but I'll give you three steps. One is discipline the body, discipline breathing, discipline mind. Of course, when I do it at home, I sit on a floor like this, on a carpet floor, but today I knew it because I'm familiar with this organization. I knew we will be sitting like this. So we will make a very simple posture, just like this. Try to keep this slightly, not stiff, but reasonably straight for the reason of the second step. In the second step, we will discipline our breathing. So we want our air pipe to be relatively straight. That is the purpose. So because I'm used to being everything, disconnect from everything. Let me remove this from my pocket. So the first step to discipline my body, just make sure you are all very free, no stiffness. <coughs> And as is my habit, I like to disconnect from everything. You want to feel free in all parts of your body. Just be natural. Just listen to your instincts, inner instinct. Sometimes you may feel like scratching one part of the body. Whatever you feel like, feel free. So that's our step number one, to discipline our body. Now I will describe, and we will do it a quick practice, how to discipline our breathing. The entire ball game of this meditation is being a natural human being, just like a small child. So as a child, if you have ever bothered, if you observe a child, particularly in sleeping mode, the child is breathing and abdomen is expanding content. As we have grown up, that's the way we were breathing as a child. That was so-called diaphragmatic breathing or abdominal breathing. Because as you breathe out, the abdomen goes inward. And as you breathe in, it fills up and it expands outward. So you can call it either, the two term is diaphragmatic breathing. But just because diaphragm goes down, it abdomen bulges outward. You can say it is abdominal breathing. Not that abdomen is filled with air, anything like that. So just to give it a name, that was abdominal breathing. And as we have grown up, and God knows how it happens, we pick up some stress here and there, our breathing has become shallow. Now most of us are breathing at a chest level, what is called coastal breathing. Now 
when I get an opportunity to discipline my breathing, I make that an objective. That whole purpose is to become a natural human being. I want to adopt that natural breathing pattern that I had as a child. So that is my objective. It's a very sideline objective, but you will see when you adopt these things in your day-to-day -day life, it has enormous advantage even on your physical health. Meditation is supposedly for your mind, but because your breathing will become deep, lot of oxygen induction will be better. It has enormous benefit to your physical health also. Let's go to the second step to discipline our breathing. I'll go in a few small steps. Let's do that. So the main organ for breathing is nostrils, not the mouth. Of course, it is such an important function. If my nasal passage is blocked, I can do through mouth. But that is the primary organ, the nasal passages. Let's do a short as a jerk, breathe out through the nostrils as if I want to throw out the air from the head region. Let me demonstrate. All of us can do it. Let's do it together. Very simple. Now we'll do the same thing, but breathe out. Now the focus will be the abdominal area, as if that air I want to throw out through my nostril. So my mental focus is here. Of course, if air wants to come out, this should go inward. Let's do it together. That was simple. Now we'll do the same thing third time, but now it will be in a smooth, longish manner. Smooth, let me demonstrate. So it will be a deep breathe out through the nostrils. Focus will be, that was an alarm I had set so that I stopped talking at this point. So in any case, I am going in time. So now we are going into a particular 20 minute meditation exercise. So now this will be single breathe out, but long focus will be on the abdomen. Let's do it together. I demonstrate it first. Deep breathe out. Everybody will do within his limits. Don't exceed your limits. The purpose is to throw out the air from the abdominal area through the nasal passage but in a smooth, longish manner, not as a jerk. Let's do it together. One deep breathe out. It's very simple. That's the way we used to do as a child. Now we'll do full cycle. Deep breathe out, followed by a deep breathe in. During the breathe out, this will shrink inward, and when we breathe in, this will expand outward. Let's do it. Deep breathe out. Deep breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. Okay, so that was the step number two. Step number three is, as if I am coming this way, inward journey, I meet my secretary, I announce to him, I want to be alone in my cave, I expect you to be quiet. I announce it through a code word. That sound is, it's a simple sound, monosyllable, Om. We can all say that, Om. It, we make this vowel slightly longish. 
initiating from the, instead of the throat, from the navel area. Om. So this is a code word between me and my mind. And the meaning of this, I expect, I am giving him a command that you stay calm. And I am conditioning my mind that this is my command signal. With practice, he will get used to it. When I say, oh, he will calm down. So I am developing that conditioning of my mind. So that will be third step. We will recite, instruct our mind with that sound, oh. We'll recite it five times in diminishing volume. Oh. 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 After all, I'm communicating to my mind. I don't have to be loud, isn't it? So now we are ready with all this. I'm setting an alarm for 20 minutes. So don't worry about the time. Alarm will, bell will ring, then we know. So don't worry when are the 15, 20 minutes getting over. Until the bell rings, we want to be in meditation. So we will go through these three steps. That will take more, not more than three or four minutes. Then actual meditation will begin after that. I want to give you a tip in actual meditation. Maybe you see mind is sending in a thought wave or something is happening. There isn't. Sorry, I shouldn't have. I hope it is working. There is a thought wave coming in your mind or some sort of a display of image or something. If you interpret it as mental activity, and you would like it to calm down, you mentally recite oh, and hope that it calms down. Is that okay? So that is a tip because that is what is your testing period. The real 15, 16 minutes, you don't want to go waste. You want quality meditation when nothing is happening. If your mind winks in some mental activity, do you insist you must insist it to calm down, and that will be reminding it with that same instruction. Oh. That will buy you some more moments of peace. Again, you see something happen. Oh. So let's begin it. Now we are ready. Our step one, we have taken a posture. Now second step to discipline our breathing. Deep breathe out. Deep breathe in. Breathe out. Abdomen contacting inward. Deep breathe in. Abdomen expanding outward. Breathe out. Abdomen contacting inward. Breathe in. Abdomen expanding outward. Deep breathe out. Deep breathe in. Breathe out. 
breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. One more last cycle, breathe out, breathe in. We are taking a short pause for our mind to disconnect from breathing. Deep in meditation, I don't want my mind to be aware of breathing, aware of nothing. Now we'll instruct our mind with that code word, recited five times. After that, just observe in your upper forehead with, wide, with your eyes closed, as if you are walking deep into a sky where nothing is happening. Getting lost into nothingness will be meditation. And as I said, if you observe a mental activity, again instruct your mind with that sound, mentally recited. Let's recite this sound five times together. Oh. Oh.
Open your eyes very gradually, not abruptly. So that was our 20-minute meditation based on Patanjali's prescription of Ashtanga Yoga. That concludes my presentation. If you have questions and comments, anything, we have some seven minutes. Um, why is it when I start letting go, I start falling asleep? Excuse me. <laughs> why is it when I start letting go, I start falling asleep and I have to like wake myself yeah. up? <laughs> uh, you know, going into sleep is nothing but bringing your mind to a calm state. And as you are bringing your mind to a calm state by way of meditation, probably there was a residual sleep in your last night's sleep was not complete. So that residual sleep finds that a good opportunity to go into sleep. So it otherwise proves that it, if you learn meditation, it will be easier for you to go into sleep. That's what sleep is. Your mind is doing nothing. Do you suggest meditating before you sleep or in the morning? Hmm? Before do you do, do you suggest meditating before you sleep, go to sleep, or in the morning? You will meditation and your sleep will go hand in hand. As you will practice more meditation, you will see your sleep quality will improve, and also it will be easier for you to go to sleep, and uh, your sleep will be better. Your daytime will be better. They go hand in hand. It cannot happen that your sleep is bad and meditation is good. You know, both will be good or both will be bad. But of course, you want to start from wherever you are. A couple of questions, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of questions on your practice. When you meditate, how long is your meditation and how often do you do it daily, more than, more than daily? Well, nobody has asked me such personal <laughs> I think first time somebody is asking me like this. It's no problem, nothing to hide. I do first in the morning, when usually I do open-ended. I don't set an alarm unless I have a commitment in the morning. As you can see, my classes are usually in the evenings, etc. So morning, I have two classes a week in the morning. Otherwise, five days I am relaxed in the morning. So my morning session is usually open-ended. It may go 40 to 60 minutes, something like that. Uh, then I do once in the evening before meal. Usually, if you are practicing, if you are serious, we suggest you do with an empty bladder, empty bowel, and empty stomach. So, you know, that is the right time. So, I do sometime in the evening. Uh, again, depending on my commitments, it may be open-ended or I may have to set an alarm for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Which is uh, not every day in the evening because my, something is happening. But then I definitely do at bedtime. 
which is also again open-ended. So I do at least twice a day, sometimes three times a day. But I, in my classes, I suggest once a day, at least 10 minutes. For a beginner, I suggest 10, 15, 20 minutes. You, you, you decide depending on what you go through. If you feel good, you can extend it. If you think you are struggling, then take your time because it's quite a subjective thing. Anything else? Otherwise, at least waiting for session to end. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you.